This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Movement. Step up your watch game and get 15% off your entire order by going to MVMT.com slash BCPod. Today's show is also sponsored by Lyft. Join the ride-sharing company that believes in treating its people better. Visit lyft.com slash badchristian for a $500 new driver bonus. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. All right. All right, for one, just for one second, Toby, keep your damn mouth shut for this intro. Three, two, one. Can I do the Toby part? This Christian podcast. Very good. Welcome yeah, to the for podcast, those of, for those for those of you that already realize that Toby cannot keep his mouth shut, and you have deduced correctly that Toby is not with us mm-hmm. because it is impossible for him to shut up for a little while. You know, people He's say that about uh, you know me too and Toby. Yeah, and I don't know as much about you, but you know, it, it is a podcast. I mean, the only thing that does happen is talking, so it's not that, that fair to criticize a podcaster for talking too much. That's true. That's true. You know, yeah, I, I, I take your point about you interrupt too much here and there. I get it, but still, you got to have something. Yeah. What you want to? Well, I tell you what. Why don't we try not talking for a minute? See how that goes. You ready? All right, let's try it. <laughs> I am the master at <laughs> at uh, Priscilla tells me just how in small groups, like I have zero problem with awkward silences, and honestly, they actually tell you it's good practice mm-hmm. to be able to wait at least eight seconds because that's about how long it takes introverts to process in their head okay yeah i'm going to share but if you move on they're like oh sweet sweet so eight seconds takes, to process here for introvert no to, to process whether or not you want to go ahead and say something because like for for an extrovert they think and they speak for an yeah. introvert i hear that and there's uh, nobody fits the category perfectly because i'm an introvert but but talk a lot as well mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that are thinking mm, maybe i should say something maybe i shouldn't and if that awkward silence lasts long enough they will pop y'all about got me already started on some kind of cynical skeptical shit on the episode here and we hadn't even got to our topic of the enneagram who our guest is going to talk about but even just talking introvert and extrovert and over assigning value and identity to it already rubs me the wrong way but i'm not gonna i mean you people get away with a lot by saying well i'm introverted that's why i'm a dickhead i mean that's why i don't talk to anybody that's why that's why i'm slow to figure stuff out whatever it is but Anyway, I will reserve that. And in fact, I agree with you about pauses. Pauses are good things to do. But um, in fact, I'll go so far as to say or admit, or I just want to carefully make sure that I'm not always the negative Nancy guy ranting or complaining about stuff. That's not really the way I think. I know it comes out that way sometimes. But there are many, many things I'm very happy about and really enjoy. And I have to tell you, I considered about a week ago, I, I genuinely had this thought. I was riding down the road, and I genuinely said, do I have it all? I think I have it all. <laughs> this is good, you know. I was thinking about my kids and my career and the things that I get to do and how I make decisions. 
And I just, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't mean that in an arrogant or conceited way because a lot of stuff I have is not what other people would want. But right. from my view, I was just like, I don't know, I was cruising home at 3.30 some afternoon and just like, I think I have it all. I mean, I got really cool kids and I love what, what I do and I, I'm always doing exactly what I want to do. And it doesn't always feel that way, but that's more or less the territory that I'm in. And, you know, part of that is getting to do creative stuff like the podcast, but also music and stuff like that. So I, I'm here to say I'm not a negative person. I'm a happy, fulfilled, present, enjoying life person. But, you know, I had to... You know, I think the way I think, of course, and I get turned up on the podcast sometimes and complain or, th you know, stuff that makes other people think I'm angry or a jerk. That's just the way I process stuff and verbally is the way I do it. But I got a lot of great stuff in my life. And part of that is just whenever I hear like uh, I had one of those moments last night. And that's what I want to talk about specifically. Um, I was hearing some new mixes of Emory songs uh, from from album we're working on. Of the, you know, we're redoing old songs. And I was I got to sit down and listen to some of those mixes last night with my headphones on. And everything like that, and it was it was so pleasant. And I had the same experience a while back on the Matt and Toby record, which is one thing I want to mention. I get to sit back these times and work with other people collaboratively. Like for instance, Zach Bolin, who I got wanted to say something else about too. Zach Bolin recorded and did a lot of the work on the Matt and Toby record, for instance. And so I've let go of some of my controlling ways and let other people do more in the recording and arranging and even playing on records. And he did such a good job with that record. And I was listening to the mixes and all my good headphones and everything. And it was, it's just like, I got to sit back and enjoy that. I, I both created it and got to hear it without it, you know, and it just, it's just so, it's just so satisfying to like work with other people, collaborate, have stuff come back better than it, it left. And you like it and it's art and other people seem to like it. So I don't know if you've noticed that or not in the club, but all the people in the BC club now have the uh, yeah. Matt and Toby record as well as the people that had pre-ordered it. So I've got some updates on that, but the response well, on they, it is look, so good too. Uh, and so I get yeah. to hear it a little bit like a, you know, a user because I didn't do all the work on it. And I'm excited with the rest of the fans because this shit is good. Yeah. Well, here, here's my opinion about that. Like you are super excited and that... It, uh, not proportionately, but the pendulum swings both ways. I think your type that would enjoy seeing everything come together like that and other people collaborating and it coming out well, that makes you so happy, just like it would bum you out hardcore if there were mistakes. In other words, I think you kind of live in a perfection world where i think for me i wouldn't enjoy that as much but i also wouldn't be as bummed out if somebody made mistakes well there's a tension to it but you have to learn to embrace that those kinds of things like my gosh there's stuff i would have done different but there's so but you have to recognize the things you wouldn't have done and the things that you may be wrong about you know you just have to recognize that stuff the creativity and the cool stuff comes from a position of when you have one thing mastered but one foot in like it, you know, when you're doing something you're good at, but also you're in, voluntarily stepping into stuff you're uncomfortable with or don't know about, which yeah. includes trying ideas or working with collaborations, a form of that. So it's like, I know exactly what I believe about music and notes and how that should go. But if I turn another part over, take a step into the unknown, that's when things can happen that are out of control and can be good or magical. It's a, it, anyway. That's the kind of stuff that I get to do. <laughs> Matt just said magical. Magical, right. That's that's what we're looking for in this. That's what I'm saying. Everything's not deductive 
hard logic. I mean, there's beautiful, magical stuff that happens that you could never engineer or calculate. Like, you don't understand? Like, I like right. engineering. I think that way. But I'm all, uh, that's why I don't do hard science for a career. Like, I hope everybody understands that. What what point would I want to, you know, I quit doing biology and pre-med as soon as I was in the lab and was like, I'm just entering data for a thousand years. This is not, right. I'm not about to discover anything new. So I went and took my type of brain and put it on music and creative stuff so that I could take knowledge, understanding, engineering, and then roll the dice and get magic. I mean, that's yeah. what we're all looking for is, is the transcendent stuff. So that's yeah. just my way of, of getting to it. Anyway, all that to say, that's a that's a pretty nice promo for the Matt and Toby record, which is, it framed out nicely with Toby doing the Forever Rain parody song that we do have this now that everybody can hear. It wasn't intentional. Yeah. They just stacked up that way chronologically. But the Matt and Toby record is like a worship record. It's got tons of hymns on it and some original songs on it and just music that is sung to God, about God, by me and Toby that we arranged and wrote and have done at churches. And it, if people always say, all you want to do is complain about music and Christian music, well, this is some good stuff. This is what we right. like, at least. At least this is what and, we think is good. And how I describe it to people, too, is the the eight worshipful songs are beautiful. Uh, they really can be an aid to worshiping if that's what you want to do but mm-hmm. then there's two songs that in my opinion they fit in with the album but they also stand alone because they are a, a negative perception of church but mm-hmm. in my opinion in a positive way because it is giving a voice to how a lot of people feel mm-hmm. but the for people that don't care about songs to Jesus it's it's worth just those two songs i mean just think of Two guys in Emory that you like a lot got together and wrote these two really cool original songs. Uh, but the whole thing is just, it's remarkable. I, I don't think it, this won't mean something to everybody, but for me, listening to that album reminds me of how I felt when I listened to Hard to Find a Friend, which is the first full-length Pedro the Lion album. You're listening to it and you're like, I can't put a finger on why this is so daggum special. But there's some, there's like a deeper layer here that just makes me want to listen more and more and mm-hmm. more and more. So that's what you guys have done, and I'm damn proud well, to thank call you all my friends. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm pumped on it, and the club seems to be loving it, and all the people that got it early for pre-order and stuff like that. So we've gone ahead, and we, me and Reva just a second ago. Reva hey, do you see Reva? Let me just go ahead and tell something. Reva just made the like jacking off hand motion <laughs> and, and made like a really mean look on her face. I couldn't see she's sitting behind me. Reva, yeah, what, while I was while I was talking about y'all CD, she rolled her eyes whoa, and did the jacking off motion. Yeah. Reva, what's the details? We just pushed the button to upload it to Spotify. What'd they say on when it'll be available? Spotify will take about five business days. All right. So we're going to that'll be probably about let's see, this episode's coming out Thursday. So the end of next week, but we're gonna make the official release date. You see how this stuff gets done around here. We're setting the official release date in real time. We're going to make it, let's make it Monday. The 18th? Yeah. 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 So if it sh- it may show up on Spotify, there's a hint for people and Apple Music. And that for sure is what we want people to do is just go stream it endlessly over and over and loop on your sleep. But uh, it'll be fully released there. But as of right now, there's a video up that Toby and I shot while we were on tour uh, for a song called All Creatures that a lot of people know that song, but Toby and I did a version of it, and there's a video up at mattandtobyband.com. Now, anybody who buys anything, pre-orders the vinyl, anything, 
you can you'll get the whole album immediately downloadable and then the we'll call the official release of it on mon- next Monday at the 18th when everybody everywhere can listen to it but you can get the whole album right now with any purchase at all and you can go watch the video at mattandtobyband.com and this is this may have been all an elaborate setup of conversation just to promote the album, but I am very excited about it is, is what I'm saying. Uh, speaking of Zach Bolin, I'm going to say about him that he is doing some great stuff. He's doing a show here in Seattle, so if you're a Seattle person, he's playing with Ivan and Eliosha at the Neptune Theater, which is like one of my favorite venues, and I think that's going to be a good show. So I, I want to say thank you to him for doing the album and, and also nice. make sure that to give him a plug for that. That's on the 15th. Um, with Ivan Eliosha at uh, yeah, at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, and also another good thing that I get to do um, as part of my job is I work with King's Kaleidoscope and Chad Gardner. This is all a big family. That's the other thing I get to work with so many people that are just I do the Tooth and Nail podcast, and I'm just texting these guys and all these bands. These are my peers. Like my life is great. So I just want to, it just is. I mean, it's just really cool. I just my community of people that I can text with sitting on the couch are like unbelievably cool interesting people and i just just get to do stuff with them and that's that's just all i'm that's all i'm trying to do but anyway chad gardner and king's kaleidoscope is crushing it as well from that scene so i want everybody to go to kingskaleidoscope.com definitely check out their new thing it's like my favorite music i've heard in a long time and they've got two big tours another friend of ours john mark mcmillan uh chad's out on tour going out on tour with him so john mark mcmillan and king's kaleidoscope on tour and another friend of ours propaganda and king's kaleidoscope are doing dates so all that stuff is worth doing and supporting thank you for supporting the matt and toby album and also i don't know anyway i just am feeling kind of positive today may have something to do with the fact that you know you know who's not here <laughs> that that doesn't Chad have a bunch of like hip hop uh, elements in the mm-hmm. new album? It's almost Andy all hip hop. Yep, Andy Minio. It's almost all hip hop. Yeah. Uh, it feels that way. It's not all almost all hip hop, but it's all. I mean, it's all that vibe. But like, it doesn't it. all have rapping on it. But it's got a very hip hoppy vibe to their new mixtape. Anyway, check it yeah, out. I gotta get that. Um, I, I want to talk about that. the hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let me. Uh, you, let's you tell do that. People yeah, I gotta Some tell good news real quick. Yeah, I gotta tell people about movement watches real quick, and then I want to hear about the hurricane shit. Movement watches, my friend, was founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank, and uh, the watchmaker's goal in this case is to change the way consumers think about fashion by offering and listen to me here high quality, minimalist products at here's the best part revolutionary prices. Now they've sold over a million watches to customers like in 160 countries around the world. So you've seen these things before. If you've seen somebody wearing a sharp watch, next time you see tap them on the shoulder say, "What kind of watch is that?" It's a good chance it's a movement watch. They've solidified themselves as the world's fastest growing watch company. Now, the one I have, I love and I selected it First of all, I like anything that's minimalist, and mine is very plain. It's got silver and black, and that's all. It's not obnoxious, but it does uh, like stand out and look nice. I want somebody to notice it, and and to me, it's just stepping up my fashion game basically, and it just it feels good. It's an accessory that I love. My wife likes it. She compliments me on it, and whenever I wear it, people ask me about the watch. So. That's just my personal experience here. But this company was started by two broke college kids that wanted to wear stylish watches, but couldn't afford them. So they started their own company. Makes sense to me. These kind of watches at department stores, you're looking at four or five hundred bucks. But movement watches start at just $95. They figured out by selling online, they're able to cut out the middleman and retail markup, providing the best possible 
prices. So here's the best part. 15% off with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash bcpod. This watch has a really clean design. Seriously, I've been getting compliments ever since I put it on. Now's the time to step up your watch game. Go to mvmt.com slash bcpod. Join the movement. All right, Joey, tell me what that bitch Irma's up to right now. Oh, that bitch is definitely <laughs> stirring uh, stirring the pot here in Charleston. People people freak out about storms and, uh, you know, for, for, I guess, for good reason and at the same time. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Maybe he, for good reason. Well, I mean, here, here's the thing is, like, the house that we live in right now, we don't live near the beach. I mean, it, it would take us about 15 minutes to get to the beach. So what people don't understand is the hurricane is going to, if it hits smack dab right at Charleston, it's not going to blow our house down. It's not like the three little pigs sort of deal. Like there's not going to be a tsunami that fills up our house. Like I said, the wind's not going to blow our roof off. So I really do feel like we would be completely. Well, I mean, hurricanes do be, that. Well, I don't understand what you're saying. You're saying hurricanes don't rip roofs off within 15, uh, 15 miles past the coast? It's just so uncommon. Mm -hmm. I mean, houses are built pretty sturdy. So mm -hmm. the, the, main, the main threat is the storm surge. And so people that live on the beach, I mean, they, seriously, they got to get the heck out of here. But, you know, for example, we are probably going to travel to Rock Hill, which is about 30 miles south of Charlotte. We will get a lot of the storm and lose electricity, uh, have the same potential of debris flying around and hitting windows and everything. But the house that we're staying at is not going to fall down either. So it's just, I don't know, it, it's weird. I really wish that we could stay one of these days. I think when the kids are grown and they're out of the house, I'm going to have this conversation with Priscilla. I'm going to say, look, for once, the kids are gone. They're in college. I want to stay for this storm. She's going to say, well, I want to leave. And I'm going to say, well, then you go right ahead. You leave because I want to be able to experience a big, big storm in Charleston. No I mean, Hurricane Hugo, Hugo, when I was in the seventh grade, I mean, we left and it was, it was probably – for good reason but then you get home and your house is totally fine it's just a hundred percent fine so you would have been perfectly fine but my uncle stayed for hugo and he literally said that he was on his knees begging god for mercy because it was so scary it was so scary so i mean exciting. you, you, you got to think percent with you brother I, i'll tell you what if you I mean, can think, talk think about it, into that i'll fly in to sit ride the storm out with you yeah i'll come think about it Think about it. Hugo had 135 mile an hour winds sustained. Mm -hmm. Like people don't realize you never experienced that. And uh, where we were, where we did evacuate to is about 30 miles inland, uh, maybe a little bit more. But I remember waking up at one o'clock in the morning hearing what I've never heard before. And that was 135 miles per hour sustained yeah, that's winds. I mean, it was that's just crazy. So anyway, you and Toby have talked a lot about, uh, or, or we have talked in the past about end of the world stuff. And y'all comment on just how horrible uh, humans will break down and how quickly they will break down well, society. in and in, in yeah society in how you know if there was an ever in, like an end of the world scenario zombies or food is scarce or something like that mm -hmm. and i've always thought that y'all exaggerated a little bit but now i realize you guys are right on the money so <laughs> uh, this morning <laughs> So this morning, I go to the fire department because Priscilla found out that they were going to be giving uh, sandbags out. So uh, that was partly true, but the, the full truth is there's a humongous pile of sand, 
and no sandbags to uh, fill up with sand. So there's a bunch of people waiting out there. We were told 8 o'clock they would be passing it out. So we all assumed, okay, someone's going to come at 8. They're going to have all these sandbags, and they're going to fill them up. We'll be on our way. So we're sitting there, and there's already arguments about which way the line's going. Like, that's a K-5 sort of argument. Oh, the line's going right. this way. No, the line's going that way. These are grown people mm. arguing over the line. There was one lady that that's was scary. tapping a stranger scared. on his shoulder continuously saying, you need to move your truck. This is city property, and you're in the way. And he's like, I'm not moving my truck. I'm getting this sand. So anyway, there at some point, there was a very logical flow to the line. Everybody agreed who was there first, who was there after that, and I was I was in a really good place. The fireman brings out a huge stack of bags, puts them on the ground, and if the whole crowd of adults did not just swarm those bags, and I even looked in people's, because people were seriously like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you kidding me like are you kidding me there's there's people that are going to get all the bags when i'm in in front of the line and i even saw in people's eyes like a slimy look of (laughs) i know i shouldn't be doing this but i've got to do it i got to look out for me and so i I really started to think about it and it's like at that point you realize everybody is out for themselves has gone wrong by the way right right you know first of all that's not food and it's not sand and nothing's gone wrong yet it is sand. Right. right. But here's 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 what made me I guess let humanity off the hook is every person realize even the good nature I want to put somebody else before me sort of people they realize okay wait a second 85% of the people here do not give a shit about me they are looking out for themselves and I either adapt to that and adopt their attitude and get mine, or I can be the only nice person and lose out on sand when I was the first person here. So it's just like all of a sudden everybody's like, okay, I got to look out for myself, I guess. But yeah. I just could right. not believe it. These Everything are adults kind of that apart. saw a line. They saw a line and they totally mm-hmm. disregarded it. So there's a lot to learn from that scenario. But I mean, the, uh, the profound thing being, yeah, this is not even an emergency. This is just preventative. It's just think this is just people thinking. But you can feel you telling that story, you can feel that energy there. And what it represents right. is what I would say is a, a breakdown of society. People themselves, individuals, you and I included, are fucked up beyond imagination. Like the depravity doctrine is fine with me because we are these <laughs> insane I mean, there's a lot of stuff about Calvinism and stuff like that that I reject, but the notion of humans being totally these ridiculous animals that, that's what it is the only those are the same people that are in church sunday they're the same people that are that are nice at the pta meeting they're not animals right. Right. normally but the only reason they're not well they are they're, but they're put into a fabric of society that we built which is our greatest achievement so the society fabric upholding is like the operating system that we're in kind of a thing. And so that is everything. Because as soon as that falls apart, it's back to the wall. I mean, we're all like on the walking dead or some version of that. And it's yeah. there's no doubt about that because that's the, there's no other way you could behave. You even And it makes you really question stuff. You're just like, well, what would Jesus do? I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't matter what he did because he'd be standing in the back of the line and he's not... And nobody's going to be paying attention to him. Right. <laughs> Nobody gives right. a shit what Jesus would do in that situation. And that's the real fact. Right. If Jesus was there, what do you think he would have done? Well, he wouldn't have been in the pile fighting for bags. He, do, you, do you think he'd have been standing in the back preaching how to love one another? If so, who the fuck would be listening to him? <laughs> Seriously. What, what, what are we doing? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and and you know, and I I will say that. Over and imagine time, if there was people really dying, and there was it was food we were talking about. That's yeah, know, it's crazy. Oh my gosh, yeah, totally. Like it, it, over time, people did start cooperating. People did, you know, like I I did not have a shovel. A lot of people didn't know that we were supposed to bring a shovel, and so I told these uh, two guys that were bagging them up. I said, hey, if you can bag mine up, I'll 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 help you guys get the all of it talking. to the truck and everything. So people started rebuilding the fabric of society, right? There. Yeah. Yeah, I but I tell, you, I tell you what, man, it was just such a weird feeling to see a bunch of adults basically lose their minds. They almost do it over air, airline and, baggage like yeah, that. It's and, crazy. And here, here's, here's I, I want to hear what you think would have happened in this case. If I would have thought quicker, I seriously would have jumped out ahead of everybody and say, whoa, 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 wait. Everybody, con- like, mm-hmm. I would have done that. I just didn't think in time, and it was just way too late. But do you think people would have felt safe and defaulted to, okay, this guy is going to have some order. Let's just fall in line. Or would they have been like, to hell with you? You are get- 100% right. I was going to make that point that it's all, that here's, that's the other thing that exposes about these fragile human animals that we are, which is, we need leadership. We want to be told what to do. It's chaos when there's a bunch of just individuals that want something. Yeah. So that's why we have structures and authoritarian structures and governments. I mean, good gosh, we need them. And I always say, like Loki says in the Avengers movie, you're meant to be ruled. Everybody would have thanked you so much if you'd have told them, stop. Right. You back up. You go here. Yeah. And in fact, there was a failure of the fire department to not. But they don't. They have resources. They're busy. They're doing stuff. They don't have time to right. babysit people getting sandbags. And as soon as centralized, organized leadership for, thought out with a structure is not there and there's a little bit of a problem, it descends into chaos. So all yeah. that needed was, here's how we're going to do it. And it would have been fine, which is, again, right. the structure, the leadership. I mean, it's, it exposes a lot about humanity. That's really neat. I mean, it, 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 what, what it exposes is there is an element of humanity that never, it, if, it's, if it's pricked the right way, it, it never matures. Like, there was an aspect of humanity that we witness that Just think of children, you, would, the same thing. you would think that would be a problem in K5. Hey, line up, and the first person in line gets a lollipop. I mean, the kids are not going to care. They will fight for that you know, mm-hmm. top spot in, in front of the line. So it, it's just crazy to see adults yeah. play by those sorts of Well, adults of, uh, are children. That, everybody's so wrong when they say, well, that's children, but we're adults. That means nothing. The only difference in adults and children, the only difference in adults and children other than a little bit of brain development is you just have more practice playing by whatever we have has arisen as our social fabric. You just right. literally have more practice at it and discipline. But as soon as the social fabric drops a little bit, you start acting like, K five year olds, except for meaner, stronger, tougher, all that. <laughs> anyway, um, that's pretty interesting. But and then the other thing that people are saying, yeah, but you see in emergencies how people pull together. True, right. granted, true. But wait a couple weeks after the disaster when there's scarcity and that that's gone. You know, long term yeah. that doesn't hold up. But you're right. If the fire department blew up and there was people needed help, everybody would have banded together. I mean, that's a good quality that humans have built in. That happens also. But they're not exclusive. They're both phenomenons that are the way we are. All right. Now, let's talk a lot more about the way people are, uh, about in something I know everybody's super into, or at least I can't find anybody that's not into uh, the Enneagram. So our guest today is named Chris, I don't know, I'm not good with saying last names, Hewitts. Does that sound right to you, Joey? Sounds about right. Okay. We can ask him here. I'm going to tell you real quick. Actually, the ghost of Toby is going to tell you real quick 
about Lyft, and then I will dial up our guest, Chris. All right, folks, yours truly signed up for Lyft to drive with Lyft because I like this company that much. They are awesome. They treat people really well. It's really easy to become a driver. I enjoyed it. I went up to Nashville and went through a little, you know, a little tiny course. It didn't take that long, honestly, minutes actually. But uh, I just believe so much in Lyft, L-Y-F-T that is, uh, the the ride sharing company, app, everything that uh, I signed up myself. Lyft knows that their drivers are what keep them moving, so they do everything they can to make sure their drivers are happy on every trip. It's a simple formula. Happy drivers mean happy passengers, and maybe that's why 9 out of 10 Lyft rides get a perfect 5-star rating. You can earn hundreds of dollars a week, plus tips. Want to earn more money? Drive more. It's never been easier to give yourself a raise. And I, I, the, one of the things I like about the tips, too, is that with Lyft, you can tip in the app. So it makes it so easy. You don't have to sit there and go, oh, I don't have any cash. I, I never carry cash with me. Or if I do, it's big bills. And then I'm like, oh, am I going to tip somebody like $20, $50? No, I just don't think I can do that. So Lyft makes everything so easy. Lyft was the first rideshare flat, uh, platform to actually offer tipping built right into the app. And you keep 100% of the tips, and they add up fast. Drivers have been paid over $200 million since the feature was first introduced. And ExpressPay lets you get paid almost instantly instead of waiting for weeks. I mean, this company is just so rad. So join the ride-sharing company that believes in treating people and treating its people better. And that is true. I really do believe that. Go to lift, L-Y-F-T dot com slash bad Christian today, and you can get a $500 new driver bonus. That's lift.com slash bad Christian, lift.com slash bad Christian. Limited time only in terms apply. We love this company. Thanks for supporting bad Christian by using lift. Well, Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks. Okay, so we're well. Going, let me let me ahead, just Joey. start by saying I think Matt thinks that no, come all on, don't do this. Sort of this is the kind of bullshit. crap you always do. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Matt thinks that That's all of true. your expertise and all your research is just worthless. <laughs> sure, it is a little magic, isn't it? Uh, I I'm totally kidding. This this kind of stuff uh, I think does interest Matt, but I, I'm curious. How familiar are you with, um, and, and you probably get this question all the time, and it's probably a very stupid question, but how familiar are you with Myers-Briggs and the DISC and all of that stuff, and what, what separates the Enneagram from all of those sorts of things? Sure. Um, so, so really familiar, actually, with, with all these things. Um, my former organization, I had uh, sort of built out this international humanitarian joint to about uh, 350 people in 15 countries. And we um, used Myers-Briggs for, for all sorts of things. Um, DISC, that was one of the sort of staples that we used in community. And then I actually got certified as a strengths coach with the strengths finders. So um, mm -hmm. I've been using these tools for, for almost 25 years, but I think the Enneagram is actually, it, it's fundamentally different because it's, 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 it's really about excavating essence. It's, it's really about getting back to sort of the, the, the purpose for what it is that you are created to bring forth into into the world or into the universe. Okay. I want to go uh, even a little bit slower than Joey there uh, in the first place. So we're discussing personality tests in general. And you said you had been into the other ones. The What's the, what's, what's the first? Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs. Um, 
what is the why were you into it in the first place and what is the point and aim and goal of personality testing in general sure so wh- why we found it useful actually was because we were were nurturing and nourishing communities and uh you know this if you stay in a friendship or a relationship or, or community long enough you're going to experience inevitable challenges. And these are the reasons we leave. These are the reasons we we hurt each other. This is why we feel betrayed. So if we can at least learn to self-observe, we we can actually self-correct. And Mm -hmm. we can actually self-correct in ways that actually enrich our relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So we were using these things to actually sort of help grease the wheels of community because for 20 years, like I said, we were were doing anti-human trafficking work all over the world. And uh, what we found was sometimes the hardest work we were doing was just getting along with the people that we were in community with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think that, I mean, to would you say that a very, uh, the ABCs of this is something as simple as an introvert and an extrovert, uh, and, and just how understanding those two groups of people is very helpful when it comes to getting along? Well, yeah, I mean, so the introvert-extrovert stuff comes out of Young's um, sort of archetypes of human character. And Young did. That's what, did Young invent Myers Briggs, or that's derivative well, of his work? Well, there's a couple of folks that that developed his mm-hmm. work into this Kiersey temperament sorter, mm-hmm. which is is the test that you take then to, to essentially find the combination mm-hmm. of, of of the four components that make up your temperament. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, your temperament can change as you mature. A lot of us find ourselves becoming a little bit more introverted. Um, your your temperament, though it's 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 pretty set. Um, it's it's a little bit more fluid than let's say your 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 enneagram type, um, so I actually try to 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 describe these sort of by saying like if you can imagine you move into a neighborhood and you get to pick the house that you want and they have nine options like one of them's a ranch one of them's a super hip condo one of them's sort of a a tie inspired gable roof you get to pick one of the nine homes you live in and then let's say of that that model of home each of them has 16 rooms well those 16 rooms can be your temperament so you can be an enfp and live in type one you can be an entj and live in type one and then how you decorate your room is really sort of what i think sort of our strengths finders are so all the entjs in the world will decorate their rooms completely different and this is sort of your talent themes coming forward but the home that your soul rests in i really think that's what your enneagram type is mm-hmm. and that I, I think uh, and that's, that's pretty that's pretty cool. And so the nine, house the houses are the enneagrams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are nice. nine types on the enneagram. So let's go with the help me understand the basis and origins of this. And for instance, why nine types? Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean do, you, I, do you believe that they're empirical types? Is kind of where I'm. Yeah. Can we create? Question. Can we create a tenth one on the show? Um, <laughs> I imagine you already have, if it was possible. Um, so that's a, so. There's a lot there. Uh, here's what's really interesting about the enneagram, and then this sort of weirds people out about the enneagram. Um, the the origins are are really convoluted. The history is really conflicted. Like this this potentially could could have come and and based on sort of rumored and loose and and fuzzy fuzzy accounts and evidence. Six thousand five years ago in ancient Egypt. Four thousand years ago in prehistoric Korea. Um, the early church, the early church mothers and fathers from the desert sort of lay claim to this. The Sufis between uh, Egypt and Afghanistan, primarily there in, in Iraq, claim this. The Jewish mystics claim this. Um, the Greek mathematicians may have some some claim to this. Um, the history is nuts, and like it would actually make a great film. The story is so 
full of intrigue and, and mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do know is a hundred years ago, a, a, a Turkish Armenian guy, George Gurdjieff, sort of started to sort of re rediscover sort of the fragments of this and uh, began to bring it forward. And then there was it was sort of quiet again. And then it was in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that a Bolivian wisdom teacher by the name of Oscar Ichazo um, then began to bring this forward. And that is ridiculous because he went into a sort of a seven-day hallucinogenic divine coma, like this, this, <laughs> this religious bender. And Count me in. he said an angel came to him and, and delivered 108 different Enneagrams. Gosh. So what we're really working with in 2017 is just one of those 108, and that's the Enneagram of personality. And that's the nine human archetype character structures. Okay. And uh, why nine? Um, I, I think nine is, is it, it just sort of repeats. So like if you have some folks who love the Bible, it's like there's nine fruits of the Spirit. There's nine Beatitudes. Um, if you have some folks who are, who are Hindu, the, uh, the nine active energies of Vishnu are, are, are reflected through Lakshmi. Uh, I mean, you can go through all religious texts, all religious traditions, and this number just keeps showing up. That's interesting. Wow. Well, so, uh, hold on a second. Um, you know what blows my mind about this thing in general is it is just, it, it's something paradoxical in my mind that I can't figure out. And I'm not superstitious, and I'm not afraid of weird stuff or spiritual stuff or even demonic yeah. stuff. I'm not that guy. But I am shocked at the, how widely the Christian community can has and is embracing and blowing up the Enneagram. It makes no sense to me. First of all, Enneagram, I think that has to do with the word nine, any, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, And it's a, it's a gram, then you can see it drawn out. I mean, it's not that far off from a pentagram. I mean, it's like a type of gram, a pentagram's five sides, and Enneagram's nine <laughs> Enneagram sides. Enneagram is dangerous. You know, Christians, and, and don't you know? And all the stuff that you were just saying about the Sufis this, and the ancient this, and 6,000 years ago this, and ambiguous history, and the other religions, and a Bolivian sensei guru, like hallucinogenic state. How in the world are Christians in I'm, I'm surprised. How can they possibly <laughs> right. be into this stuff? I'm not. I'm not yeah. knocking it or anything like that. I'm just shocked that this culture can embrace this with the amount of stuff they're scared about. That's obviously tied up with it. Matt, Crazy. Matt, this this same demographic thinks that Trump is an awesome <laughs> women woman respecting Christian. Well, well, I, I mean, right now. <laughs> no, look, you're right. Like it, it looks super evil. Like two yeah. pentagrams have. I don't think it is. I'm just saying I can't believe the other people aren't saying this Illuminati and all. You know how these the Christians are all into these conspiracies and the theories, and they think that Super Bowl Beyonce was working with the Illuminati at the Super Bowl because had a triangle. I mean, and I don't see how they embrace the enneagram. Well, I'll say this: I I think it's it's um, I I don't think there's anything controversial about this. But in the evolution of our human consciousness, I I think we're more prepared for things now than we ever have been before. Mm -hmm. And, And you see this across the boards socially. I mean. You know, when we were growing up, I'm I'm a little crusty and and doughy and and probably a lot older than you guys. But the so-called mid- midlife crisis, right? What Jungians call the the middle passage, that happened to people between ages of 50 and 60. And, and man, in 2017, you have folks who are 28 to 32 having their first middle passage. Like, there's something happening to our ability to integrate. Sort of, uh, you know, what Richard Rohr, one of our our teachers and board members, calls sort of non-dualism, mm-hmm. right? And um, yes, so this is maybe just on time. 
That's an interesting concept. I think I have noticed that too. Maybe if what you're saying is that people are, well, okay, how about this? And I'm probably going to flip-flop back and forth here with what I see as negatives and positives of the Enneagram, probably. Just just for full disclosure there. I, I, I can think of it in, in, in a couple of different ways. But it seems to be that people at a younger age and more thoroughly are seeking integration for sure, which means self-reflection, self-analysis, doing the hard work of no, you know, using your consciousness to operate on yourself and thus the species and the society and everything. That's good stuff. So even at minimum, just that people are exploring, you know, self things that they know that they inherently can correct instead of just tribalizing and dualizing the outside world. That's a step forward for humanity, right? For sure. So I'm with you at least that far. Uh, yeah, and and I think um, I I think what what we're seeing and and so all right, we you 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 know we're clearly living in a time at least here in the states where the uh, unreconciled and unrecognized wounds of our history are, are coming forward, right? Mm -hmm. That infection is now making its way to the surface in, in undeniable ways. I also think that sort of speaks to, we are on the, the, the edge or the verge of, of a new or a reawakening, right? We have to start to tell ourselves the truth about mm -hmm. our history, about our past, about our present. And that's what George Orwell says in 1984, whoever controls the present controls the past, whoever controls mm -hmm. the past, controls the future so the narratives aren't being rewritten hopefully mm -hmm. they're they're being corrected mm -hmm. and i think that's actually what the enneagram does I, I i i basically like to tell folks that i think the enneagram is your ego set of coping addictions that you've wrapped up around a childhood wounds so okay slow down there i like that I'm, I'm interested in that say that slow so down say that again set of coping addictions that you've wrapped up around a childhood wound so that you can lie to yourself about who you want to be or who you think you are is that good well, or bad to do that? Or is it the only way well, that humans, an is an adaptive function? Well, I think it's adaptive clearly, but I think you're living in an illusion if you are um, supporting the projection of your own ego mythology. And, and so what the Enneagram fundamentally invites us into is truth telling. Who are you, right? Mm -hmm. Not I like that. I, I come to terms with, with the gifts and the challenges of my Enneagram type and suddenly I start to wake up. I start to to tell myself the truth, and now, ta-da, here's the new Chris. No, there may have been an old Chris, but there's always been a Chris because there will never be a new Chris. I've yet to sort of excavate the essence of who I've always been until I can tell myself the truth. Mm -hmm. But man, I, I would rather live in my illusion. And, and you see this in every great story. So uh, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Wizard of Oz, like plug your ears. But when Dorothy falls asleep, the dream is in color. Mm -hmm. And y'all, the illusions that we're living in, we want them to be more magnificent and more interesting and, and more textured than the undramatic ordinariness of being ourselves every damn day, mm -hmm. right? So this is also what the Enneagram helps us do, is sort of see these stress fractures that we've learned to cope through our, our, our coping addictions, through our defense mechanisms, through, through the illusions that we are now sort of trying to, to convince others are true. So mm -hmm. it's a helpful tool. I mean, that's, that's what I think is so interesting is, I mean, it's helpful to not only how we interact with others, but how we proceed in life in a in a better way, right? I mean, that's for sure. That's great. Can, are, is it time, Matt, to briefly go through? I, I at least would love. A, is it possible to give like a snapshot of each Can, one? I'm not ready to do that yet. Okay, that's okay, okay Matthew. That's yeah, um, okay. You, okay, so Joey just said, and you affirmed that this and the way you look at it, the, the 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 underpinnings of it 
and how, what we bring to it is v- pretty important to me and, and viewing it rightly. Because I know I f- have a suspicion or a, a feeling that many people use many things like this in ways that do drive me crazy. But I'm trying to <laughs> make sure we're fundamentally on the same page and have it in the right place. And Joe, you just called it a tool and you affirmed that. Do you think of the Enneagram as, is a big distinction for me, is it just some tool that is useful that humans developed? Or or is the fundamental claim back there what I think a lot of people believe, like as if there were some archetypal empirical truth like uh, like male and female or this or that, like you are a type. And that's just not, or it's just a construct and a description that we've made up that's useful and it's simply a tool. Because a lot of people sure. think, no, I was born, God designed me a seven and that's this and I have the DNA of a seven and the blah, 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 which I, I'd reject that personally. I don't know if you, but I would I would yeah. make a big distinction um, in, in between those two. So, uh, so again, that <laughs> that's a mouthful. Um, and, and where do I start here? Uh, first of all, to, to maybe your first point, yeah, like I, I, I think, okay, let's use two as a, as a clumsy, mm-hmm. as a clumsy metaphor, just for a second. Um, yeah, there's, there's ways that people have weaponized this. There's pay, there's ways that people have, have used this to sort of caricature and reduce mm-hmm. somebody down to their foibles and idiosyncrasies. And, and actually that's worn out. And actually I think in the Enneagram space right now, like the regurgitation of the same old, same old is, is, is thin and it's, and it's, and there's nothing in, in, interesting about that, right? So if we leave it like that, if we weaponize it, if it's like, hey, I'm at a dinner party and I'm just going to like, man, get at these folks and start to tell them things about themselves that they may have intuitively always known but never had this sort of framework to wrap mm. around, suddenly, wow, this does feel like magic. Like you could actually be sort of a pseudo-psychic and like really mm-hmm, exactly. like have a – a fabulous career here. Mm-hmm. That's but, uh, right. That's right. I'm glad you acknowledge that. When I say tool, though, I mean like good, like a tool, like diagnostic tools and uh, other things yeah. we do in life that we have invented yeah. as an overlay to reality that help us function in our reality. Or yeah. do you think when a child is created in the womb, he's a four? So, <laughs> all right. So then there's two. There, I, I, I sort of in my brain. There's there's two more bits to how you started this. Um, and so let's just move past this clumsy. Uh, clumsy metaphor for tool i'm fine calling it a tool and i I think what it's generally sometimes used in parlance is it's a it's a psycho spiritual psycho spiritual character structure tool okay um to sort of help us self-observe the Mm -hmm. reasons and the motivations for why we think act and feel but really to the your your deeper point here my, my sense is um and i know you sort of threw this out like sort of tangentially like are we born male or female and look in 2017 sexuality, gender, all of this, I think, is becoming a little bit more fluid. Sure. And yep. it's maybe yeah. more of a color no, wheel than buckets. Right, but um, I'm going to stop you right there. That's a that's a very good distinction. Even when I said gender there, I realized, well, I guess that's not totally binary. But it's super, super, super disproportionate, like spikes. If you looked at the curve, it's almost all male and female, and there's a, you know millions of people sure. that are in the middle, but the spikes are very clear. There's this type in general and this type in general, and there's a spectrum. And if the same sure. were true about the Enneagram, it would be there'd be nine ultra-huge types that stick out empirically and big valleys in between versus a, you could be what, you know, you know what I'm saying? It would, are the sure. concentrations, are there empirical and scientific claims behind the Enneagram in that so same my, way? Right. So my sense is that it's, it's it's the nine archetypes of human character structure. 
that is yeah. innate, like not not have to do. I mean, that's an innate thing about humans and humanity. That's that's under. At least this is what the enneagram exposes. Now, unlike Myers Briggs, right? Y'all brought that up earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the sixteen buckets of, of temperament, and like, drop me in a bucket. Mm-hmm. The, the the enneagram is also similar. I, I I really refer to it as a color wheel because if you're dominant in type eight, right, then the numbers on either side of you, seven and nine, are your wings. And this is what you use to balance your type, subconsciously and really unconsciously. Um, but that means you could be a, an eight with a seven wing. You could be an eight who sits loosely between both wings. You mm-hmm. could be an eight who has developable things. You could be an eight with a nine wing. You could be an eight without a wing. Now, suddenly that changes sort of the hue of the color of eight on this color wheel. Mm-hmm. Secondly, there's three, this gets super wonky. We probably won't get into this, but there's three driving instincts, sexual, self, present, social. And that actually does almost more to shape your eightness than anything. And then, of course, you can be in an eight in integration or an eight in disintegration. And again, this changes. And then the folks at Riso Hudson, the, the Enneagram Institute, sort of throw every type on, let's say, a nine-rung ladder of psycho-spiritual health that we're moving up and down on almost every day. So now there's nine sort of levels of health. So suddenly it's not like you're blue. There's... 1100 mm-hmm. shades of blue that you could be and actually like you know some of them look pretty similar to the to the human eye but they're really different and i think that's what's beautiful about this is it's dynamic mm-hmm. it's in motion it's not stagnant you don't get stuck in this shade of blue like it just as sort of like the the, the leaves on a tree the color of green changes depending on where the sun is at in the sky from sunrise to sunset i even think sort of your dominant type changes even throughout the day based on phase of life, um, your stressors, um, your own sort of mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual, physical health. Okay, and so, so, so it's, maybe, it's complicated. maybe it's like music, though. Let me see if I can make a musical analogy. Mm-hmm. We have a music theory book. I could find it. I've studied it in college. It's just a book. It says, here's what you do. Here's the notes. Here's the lines. Here's the staffs. And then there's all these allowances for other things. Like, now, that's an F sharp. We denote that with this. And so it means a different thing, and it constructs a different tonality. It makes the key of G major instead of C major. You know, we have all these rules and things and descriptions. And any music that we that I could hear that somebody could create, I can define within the context of tonal harmony, or I could attempt to, to do so, which reminds me of, oh, it's an eight with a seven wing that does this sometimes. Like, oh, uncommon, different, more more unique, but still on the spectrum. It's explainable in these terms. So to me, that makes sense, and it's one of my favorite tools in all of human history is music theory. I love it. I love it. I think it's great. Now, it is something that we made up. That's the distinction. It's the best. It's awesome. I love it. I went to college for it to study a thing that we made up that's very, very helpful. And that is the way I like to think of, would like to think of the Enneagram. Does that sound right to you or wrong to say that? Well, I mean, just, just like if, if humanity is the originator of music, mm-hmm. then certainly humanity is the originator of, of, of personality and character structure. Mm-hmm. But you gotta, you gotta wonder like, is music innate? to our humanness the concept of music is just like personality is innate to human humanity but but could we not help but be musical could we Mm -hmm. not help but be creative and Mm -hmm. and so look here's one of the things that 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 that, let's say fundamentalists miss out on sometimes when they have to put their their finger on the word on the page in the bible and it has to be literal Mm -hmm. to them is they miss out on what the finger is pointed to beyond the sort of existential truth that's that's Mm -hmm. the underlying sort of 
let's say, spirit of, of, of all sacred scripture. So, you know, one of the first things that we learn in, in, in the Hebrew Bible is that from nothing God creates. Well, all right, so folks want to get fussy and grumpy and get hung up on, is this a literal creation? Is it poof, here's a man, poof, here's a woman. Oh, I'm, I'm clocking these 24 hours, seven days. Or is the first most important message of scripture, God is creative. Mm-hmm. And if we bear within us the, the imprint of the divine, then every time we are creative, we are reflecting the divine. Okay. Right? So, so I, 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 yeah, yeah, totally. And I won't hang up on this philosophical part of it any longer right. other than to say that, um, well, it's, uh, it, 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 it occurs to me that if there are personality t- is it different than, than Myers-Briggs? Like Myers-Briggs is something that Jung and people made up to explain things and it works well, but the Enneagram hits at a deeper truth that's really innate or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, isn't it kind of arbitrary, the numbers? I don't mean to sound overly skeptical. I'm just saying, isn't it kind of arbitrary, the numbers, their order, and the titles? Or do you believe that that's built into the structure well, I, of I, reality, I, I, like I, the Fibonacci sequence? or you know? Yeah, I think that the, the structure um, of essence is, is something we don't create, we observe. Right? So did Jung invent something, or did he observe something and then translate what he's observing, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that the Enneagram shows you, if you look at it, that sort of scary six-pointed star in the middle, mm-hmm. they, they, they say that speaks to the law of seven. And, mm-hmm. and fundamentally, as humans, we experience everything in impressions of seven, right? We tell time through the seven days a week. We see color refracted through the seven hues of a rainbow. We hear music, if you want to talk about music, through seven the notes seven the scale, notes that right. make an octave. If you're a yoga student, there are seven chakras in the body. So are we making this up? Are we forcing seven into something or are we reporting on, Hey, actually here's, you know, intelligent design. Mm-hmm. And, uh, here's something that creates a fractal of, of, of essence that if you look for it everywhere, you see it in everything. Do you call it scientific or do you avoid trying to shoehorn? Well, do you make any scientific claims with the Enneagram? Um, I, I don't. And actually what I'm specifically trying to do, um, is if you sort of, follow the modern history of this you sort of see in the 80s a a real sort of split where um it it really trends hard towards psychology and and psychological development and and we don't lose the spirituality of it but that sort of gets sidelined a little bit and so i'm actually trying to bring back forward how do we use this um how do we apply what we learn from the enneagram into our own sort of spiritual formation Mm -hmm. and when i talk about nurturing our spirituality I'm, i'm not talking about locating that in a faith tradition i'm talking about relating to that part of your essence that that does yearn for the beyond, right? That existential sort of a spark within mm-hmm. that, that, you know, what Richard Rohr again would sort of speak to is the, the perennialism of, of, of trying to locate ourselves in the source of love, sure. right? So certainly more in the category of mysticism than science, at least, right? At least, that's and so we the can leave. I mean, I'm I'm okay with that. Of course, I, I embrace a lot of things about mysticism and science. I just don't like to overly mix them and c- cross name one. I don't like to miscategorize the approach sure. taken m- methodologically. Anyway, sorry for hanging everybody up. Everybody thinks I'm just being nitpicky about something that doesn't matter. Everybody <laughs> just wants to know, am I a seven or a five or whatever it is? But do you oh, have man, any kind of read on me showing. so far? Am I a type that sticks out well, to you? Well, <laughs> I won't do it. You're type <laughs> asshole. I know. Uh, no, but actually that's how people weaponize it. They mm-hmm. out what they perceive somebody's type to be. And, and that's... um. Now, now, Matt, I I've was never taken around. the test or anything. People say you're this or that, but I don't know. Matt, I was joking around uh, at the top of the episode, but are would you say 
is it safe to say that you do have skepticism in how this could be a helpful tool no, with no, interacting? No, no, I don't. I'm, I'm totally fine with anything being as helpful as it is. Like my wife goes to the chiropractor. That ain't science. I think it's relatively bullshit, but if it works, okay. I'm not, I, I allow her, not that she needs my permission, but she's fine to go to the chiropractor. It isn't science of subluxation of getting her vertebrates right. That's, that's, that's wrong to think that and do that. If the adjustment makes her feel better, it loosens her up and does something that maybe the, she nor the chiropractor understand, which is basically what's going on. So you're and saying they're placebo? all better for that, then good. That's a, a good tool, and I would identify it as a low-resolution tool. They're hitting at something that might be real, that neither one of them understand very well. It's certainly not scientific, which doesn't make it wrong or evil or bad, but it's not the same as medical science. It's not supported scientifically yet, and it's a lower resolution thing so that's so it can be useful i'm not saying it's wrong or whatever but some people chiropractors do weaponize it they use it they're manipulative they're trying to sell stuff they're being pushy they tell people stuff they don't believe that happens too so to me right thinking fundamentally is very important on what the thing is i do mysticism with christianity for sure it doesn't fit in my scientific box whatsoever but i know there's god i know there's something i know there's jesus and i had to deal with that so i put on my mystic hat when i'm de when i'm dealing with a lot of spiritual stuff that i really do experience but don't have much certainty about and I do or, but, but even different. that, even that language, like you know, maybe what we 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 do better to 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 sort of reframe is we rest our hope in 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 the faith that some of these things may be true. Right? Yes, that's because fair, fair our enough, beliefs yeah. and faith are completely different, right? I, I believed in Santa Claus when I was little because adults I trusted told me Santa was real. There's yeah. my my peer group fortified it. There was evidence under the tree. That's most religious people, mm -hmm. right? So. Our beliefs are unhelpful until they really mature into faith. And faith is making an option for the absurd. Faith is actually putting our hope in something unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Now, now my sense here with the Enneagram is, is um, first of all, like, I, okay, so I wrote a book on this. I, I've spent a lot of my life working on this, actually. Um, I don't, I, I think the Enneagram will find you when you need it. So first of all, I'm not prescriptive. Like, oh, my God, everybody go out and take a test. I'll find your number. Let's get at it. It's like. Some of us aren't ready for this, and some of us may not be able to sort of utilize the, the the support that this can be. But really, that's all it is, is it's a support to our awakening. So just like if, if you're at the gym and, and you need somebody to help you spot the last three or four reps of that, that 300 pounds you're benching, they're not lifting 300 pounds with their fingertips, but they're convincing you that you can do something that you're already capable of doing. You just need that sort of external sort of somebody ascribing the, 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 the energy of faith that, that, that they believe in mm -hmm. you. My sense is whatever supports your own inner work, your own contemplative practice. Which I love, the notion of people up. being self-reflective, seeking integration, Joey, for instance. Yeah. So I, no, no actual resistance there unless yeah. somehow is misused, weaponized, predatory, yeah. overly sales. You know, all these things will creep yeah. into anything that is effective also, by the way. Yeah. So, and right. one of my favorite examples of something, obviously the worst would be horoscope reader, psychic, that kind of stuff, which I, you don't want to be in that category, surely. Um, and then on the other side of that is stuff like, Alcoholics Anonymous. That is a really amazing thing that seems to work pretty well overall. There's no money involved. Nobody gets paid. It helps people. It's pretty vague. People made it up. They discovered some truths that they've collected here, and it seems to help people, and it's really good. So that is the, the healthy yeah. version of that. this type of discovery yeah. and, and stuff, the way I would look at it. Yeah.
so what so what uh, what about the types though? I'm sorry, yeah, again, sorry for the philosophical part of that, but what is the the normal stuff that normal people want to talk about when the Enneagram comes up? <laughs> Man, what, what, what people want to talk about is tell me about tell myself. me about me, right? So yeah. that, isn't that a little bit of a tip off? Anything was like tell yeah. me about me. Everybody loves it. I know that, and that's a little bit of a bummer because part of me wonders if if that's why there's such a, a market for this right mm-hmm. now is our sort of levels of, of, of narcissism are just so off the charts. I suspect you're <laughs> on the right track for part of, part of a success. And, uh, yes, I agree. So actually like maybe I'm either good or bad for business, mm-hmm. but, uh, I wrote a book where you couldn't just turn to one of nine chapters and write about yourself. Yeah. Right. Um, which that's also sort of a, a waste of paper. It's like, if, if that's really what you do, if you pick up an Enneagram book and you're just like, all right, here I go. Page 27. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're again, you're missing the point, right? This is about, uh, this is about finding the imagination to find our place in the new we that we all want to belong in. Mm-hmm. It's just that we have to bring the best of ourselves to that. And uh, my wife will say this frequently, like to the to the extent that we're transformed, the world will be transformed. So, so if you can use this as as sort of a support for inner transformation, fabulous. Right on. Yeah. That, you, you know that that actually is remarkable to think. You know, we see technology and how people are healthier these days and can take, you know, uh, the cure for cancer is probably right around the corner. This seems to be advancements in socialization. Like, man, we're going to be better off getting getting, uh, along with each other as humans, having known this information. I mean, that's a pretty crazy thought. Like if you could understand sure. your your desires and fears and tendencies, my gosh, that's I mean obviously that's powerful. However, you could discover right. them, assuming they're correct, right. and you're honest with yourself. Right now, I just want a microchip that I can stick in my brain and have as much knowledge as Chris has about all this stuff. Oh dear, we'll get that. Too. Um, <laughs> well, so so the nine types. Here's here's um. So this uh, this is actually super fresh conversation with you guys because I've been doing a lot of podcasts and like. The, one of the first questions out the gate is, tell us about the nine types. Right. And, uh, and so the nine archetypes of human character structure as the Enneagram sort of frames that my sense is really around essence and it's really around energy and it's really around character. Now, sadly, what happens is people who, who the easiest way to remember these for a lot of folks is either through social roles and functions. And so they ascribe names to the numbers. So sometimes Type one is called the perfectionist or the reformer. And, and again, what I, what I find a little difficult about that is now you're reduced. You're reduced to one of the social yes, roles. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. I agree. Two, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, one of the easy ways to remember the Enneagram is through what are called the, the passions. And so um, what they've done is they've taken the seven deadly sins and they've added two more and they call these the capital sins. And now they, they run you around the Enneagram circle based on your sin tendency. What are the two and, additions? Um, the two additions were, what was it? It was fear. I don't know the seven deadly sins, but I think fear was one of them. And then, um, and then was pride an original seven deadly sin? Yeah, I think so. But, I think so. But even this, like even these so-called sins are a problem because fundamentally your passion and your Enneagram type, my sin, okay, so maybe this is like any heresy, but it's not sin. <laughs> this is your best way of trying to find your way home back to your true self. And when it becomes addictive, yes, then then there's some problems there. But your passion, your so-called sin tendency in the Enneagram lingo is your thirst for being. It, it, it helps you stay alive, right? So if we run around the circle, um, type one, 
um, you know, Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr is a, one of my teachers and, and, a, and a dear friend of mine. Um, in the 80s, sort of used fundamental needs to describe these types. He called type one, the need to be perfect, right? Type two, the need to be needed. Type three, the need to succeed. Type four, the need to be unique. Type five, the need to understand. Type six, the need to be secure. Type seven, the need to avoid pain. Type eight, the need to be against. Um, and type nine, the need to avoid. Now, like I said, the, the folks at the Enneagram Institute and, and Helen Palmer in particular here in the States threw names around them. So the one is sometimes, depending on the, the sort of Yale or Harvard of the Enneagram world, is either the reformer or the perfectionist, right? Type two is either the giver or the helper. Type three is the, 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 the performer or the achiever. Type four is the, the romantic or the individualist. Five is the observer or the investigator. Six is the, uh, the loyalist or the skeptic. Seven is the enthusiast. Eight is the contrarian or the challenger. And nine is the, the mediator or, or peacemaker. Now, now, as a rhetorical device to try, to try to remember the types, that can be helpful. But like I said, um, if you get stuck on, okay, so am I a performer or achiever? It's like, no, you're neither. That's not you, right? So then it, you, you, know, you just keep peeling this back and you get down to basic desires, basic fears, and that's where we start to really become, I think, honest in, in identifying and locating type. Like, what drives me? What, what, um, what fuels my, my compulsions, my mm -hmm. impulses? For most of us, it really is our fears. But you know this, fears, fears are, are, are illusions even in and of themselves. And this is why I think the Enneagram helps us wake up because we've fallen asleep so that we don't have to face our fears. We're, we're safer, right? Mm -hmm. living in our illusion and actually doing the hard work of telling ourselves the truth, right? Yes, and I can see the for sure negative side of that being somebody, I, I, this is this still drives me crazy when people self-identify, and I'm guilty of it too, everybody is, you self-identify yourself as a thing, not, either an Enneagram type or just a type of person, and then you're married to that, like it's a diagnosis right. or it's like, right. and even if it's a diagnosis, think of all the syndromes that get diagnosed that are just uh, sets of of qualities that we have put a name on and now that person puts that name on as an identity i'm whatever it may be i'm a person that speaks my mind which means i never stop myself from speaking my mind and i'm an <laughs> asshole half the time but that's because right. i'm built that way no excuse you know right. and so right. you can say well i'm i'm this on the enneagram and i'm locked right. to it and it's part of my identity all the way down and fuck you because this is the way i am and it's now, yeah. now it's, it can be a shield or an excuse, or at least you're not getting the most out of it. So you're saying you're not fixed to that stuff, or it can change, or you shouldn't think of it that well, way. So my sense, my sense is, 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 and this is also sort of back to, to one of your earlier questions: if this is nature or nurture, this is also sort of hot, just like everything in the world, mm -hmm. hotly debated within sort of the the the, the space there. Um, my sense is you are born somewhere on that circle, and that place where you were born becomes the sort of vantage point for your perspective on the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's probably not arbitrary, but that spot where you're born is, is close to one of these nine landing points. And that's why I think in the Enneagram, like there's nine different ways to handle a problem. There's nine different ways to say something. There's nine different ways we hear what something is said. And that's why there's really no script in life for, so, Hey, like I, I've lost my job. What do I do? Hey, like my marriage is falling apart. I'm not sure what's happening here. Hey, like I, I'm having a, a crisis of identity or I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm coming to terms with what my gender actually may have been. That's different from the sex I was assigned to at birth. Well, whatever these things are, mm -hmm. all these very human experiences, the Enneagram just sort of says, there's nine ways of seeing that, relating to that, dealing with that. And, and so 
as a counselor, as a friend, as an advisor, like the way I'm going to tell you to handle your business may be completely different than the way you should handle it. And in fact, you should handle it the way that you would. And that will be sort of your path to success, your path to fecundity, your path to, to integrity and honesty. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's it, it, what it does is, and this doesn't fuel our individualization, but this recognizes our unique gifts, right? Like maybe this is clumsy language, but our, our, our created purpose for being, our essence, right? Interesting. Gosh, I just think this is, I, I don't, I just can't get my mind off of how crazy it could be if, like, it, if we could fine tune these sorts of things, just how impactful it could be. Like, if someone is listening and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, I, I, I have no interest in looking into mine, for example, like, what, what would be your response? I mean, you don't seem to be the type of person that would try to persuade them otherwise, but what would they be missing out on? Well, my, my sense is if, 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 if you're just sort of like, you know, this is bullshit, like writing this off, like uh, this is magic or this is just another way of controlling. This is, this is the mm. devil's tool. Yeah. This is, um, this is Satan's periscope on, on, on earth. Ouija board. Um, my sense is you're missing out on the, the, the compassionate sketch of possibilities of who you can become. Right. Yeah. This isn't fatalistic. This isn't deterministic. This isn't your horoscope, but this really is the sacred map of, so this is where I may have come from, and this is how I've fallen asleep, and this is how I can wake up. And along the way, these are the places where I will be vulnerable of getting stuck, and and these are the places that are going to make it really hard for me, and, and how I'm going to actually make it really hard on myself. But the compassionate nature of this really speaks to um, it, it speaks to, to, to enhancing and, and, and celebrating and highlighting what's beautiful about you. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, back to your, or sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, just, just the, the, at the simplest level, I know people that, that, uh, that work, uh, under my leadership that really thrive off of words of affirmation. Now I'm not just going to pump their, you know, head up and, and blow smoke up their ass, but I will keep in mind, okay, this person likes words of affirmation. I'm going to tell them when they're doing something well. There's another person that works under my leadership that they're totally fine with just sticking to themselves and, and not, not socializing, not talking. I know I don't have to feel like I don't have to feel like I got to make conversation. Whereas someone else who really enjoys connecting at a deeper level and they feel more of a sense of belonging, I'm going to probably slow down when I see this person and and have a deeper conversation. I mean, it just seems like how can we disregard stuff when we see it at the simplest level as being helpful? Yeah. And and that's the funny thing about this is, is, um, so yeah, it gets really wonky really fast. It, It can be very complicated. But, but it's also as simple as just watching your own reactions, your own triggers, watching what is it in you that makes you sort of, what sets you off, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for some of us who are fundamentally afraid of not being in control, as soon as you know that oh, about yeah, yourself, totally. you're just like, oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. Absolutely, yeah. That's transcendent <laughs> recognition of your, I mean, that, that stuff's so important to be introspective and yeah, I, I, I totally agree yeah. with that. So is it pretty easy for someone to read up on this on their own and, and in your experience, have people been able to discover right away, like, oh, I'm totally this? Um, so, <laughs> so that's funny. Um, yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're willing to be honest and truthful with yourself, you can, yeah. you can read the thick descriptions of the nine types and, and, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll pretty, 
quickly be able to find your way into them. But there are a few types that sort of have a little bit more sort of fluency in self-deception. Yeah. Um, there's a, a couple types in there that have a little bit more fluency in identifying with other types of people or understanding a various sort of spectrum of, of, of positions. Um, so there's some types that are, are, are pretty commonly mistyped. And there's yeah. a reason for that as well. It's like some of us aren't very understanding at all. It's just like, stop being an idiot. That's my best pastoral line. While there's other types who are just like, oh, man, I feel this with you. Right. Um, so really, it's what you bring into sort of your self-assessment of But this. you're not out there saying, everybody go take the test on and share the results on Facebook. I mean, it's, you're, it's not, I mean, you, does it take more to assess yourself or you just go, you, you um, tell people to go out there and do it? I mean, I mean, I don't even mean it this way, but what is it that you do or even if you could plug or if you start somebody down a road, like what, what, what do you, sure. what's the first step so, from your view? So actually in my book, there's a little tiny section on like, how do you, how do you find your type, right? And, and my sense is there's, there's just, there's four really, really accessible ways that are pretty easy. One is, like I said, just, just Google Enneagram and you'll come up with a bunch of free tests online. Now, those are okay. The free tests. Well, yeah, okay. they're okay because, okay. um, they're quick, they're easy. There's a great one that the Enneagram Institute puts out. It's 12 bucks. And I actually, I don't work for the Enneagram Institute. I don't get a kickback. Um, but I actually think like those folks have, have done their homework and that's, that's pretty solid. Um, but here's the real problem. Those tests bring with them inherent racial and cultural bias. A lot of those tests are, 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 are come with thick Western assumptions about being, yeah. um, even how we test in the West, like speak something to sort of brain development and sort of the, the, the sort of neurological grooves that are sort of hardwired into us. True. Um, so you have to be really, you have you don't test the test, but just realize like these tests come with their own slants, mm -hmm. right? So that's that's easy. That's quick. Um, it, it takes a, a little bit longer to read the thick descriptions of each nine type and, and be honest about those. But you also have to be honest and evaluating what are these these thick descriptions really reflecting on? Are they observing character structure or are they sort of fueling caricatures? And where you see the caricature stuff, I, I think that's that's dangerous. I think that's actually unhelpful. The third way um, is is to find somebody who's been trained in a typing process or a typing interview, which is sort of a, a self reflection inquiry, where you really bring your type forward. But you have to, to to do that with somebody who really knows what they're they're doing. And then you know the fourth way that that's that's pretty popular is panels. And so you might be at a workshop or a conference, and they'll say they'll they'll introduce generally what the nine types are, and then they'll say so everybody who's dominant. In, type two or type seven, come up here and let me just interview these eight people about their two-ness. And what you'll see is there's a completely different experience of, like I said, it's all the shades of orange and it's beautiful. And when you watch these panels, if, if the person who's, who's, who's facilitating the panels is actually, actually skillful, like that's another way to just sort of see something in you that resonates with what you're hearing. Cool. So, Interesting. And so tell us, uh, your, what about your book and website? What are those? So you can, you Sorry, can, uh, I don't have them in front of me at the moment. But. No, no, no. You can go to www.sacredenneagram.org. Um, and we're, we're facilitating some workshops all this fall. Um, the book is called The Sacred Enneagram. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I'm really trying to do here, so if you're not Enneagram nerdy, you might not see it. And that's fine. But I'm trying to advance the conversation. I'm trying to say, like, so now what? And what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so... I actually do a little bit of work, and I realize this may be the first Enneagram book that people read, so I do some introduction there, and I make it really, make the on-ramps gentle. 
But then I, I start to, to work with really the fundamental essence of all of our humanity, which in the Enneagram is called your intelligence center, right? So it's our, our bodies, our instincts, it's our heart or our feelings, and it's our mind or our thoughts. And we all have a dominant intelligence center. And our intelligence center is actually where, for each of us, we learn to practice discernment the most effectively. So if we can actually learn just simply what our intelligence center is, we already have a step up on, on, on the competition. But what I do is I take your, the intelligence centers of the Enneagram and I align them with three contemplative prayer postures, either solitude, silence, or stillness. Now, look, we all need interior solitude, silence, and stillness. But based on our intelligence center, what I'm arguing here is one of these postures is, is actually more crucial for us waking up, for us beginning to tell ourselves the truth. And then I get a little nerdy and I start talking about the Enneagram's harmony triads, right? And then I say, based on your harmony triad, there's a prayer intention that you need to bring to this posture, something your posture will hold before God. And when you take these three prayer postures, these three prayer intentions, and you put them against each other around the Enneagram, it actually comes up with nine unique combinations that I think specifically help us return to our childhood wound, where we went to sleep, where we fell into our illusion. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to do the inner work, if you're actually willing to move your contemplative practice to a discipline and, and really bring sort of the concentration of your essence into that. I, I really think the Enneagram sort of is just a, a great support, uh, an efficient tool, right? A, a helpful guide. Um, so I'm trying to make it practical. I'm trying to make it helpful. Like, all right, now I know I'm a type five. Well, well now what? Right. Oh, is that, is that true? Are you a five? No. What, what uh, is your type by the way? Do you, well, you don't, if you don't say uh, that's fine. I mean, if you're if you know the Enneagram, it's you probably it's my type is always showing. I'm dominant in type A, so that's probably why I want to pick fights with the language, um, with, with sort of some of the the ways that this has been abused or misused. Um, it's I, I my my type is always showing. I, <laughs> it's I eight. You it. said yeah yeah challenge the challenger yeah or something contrarian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, do do you? Like how good at you are, how good are you at basically hanging out with someone or like Matt asked, I mean, do you have a good feel for what Matt and I are? Um, <laughs> it's not a Look, parlor I, trick, he says. Joe. I know, man. I try. I really try not to read energies. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, sometimes you guys make it impossible for us not to. Mm -hmm. um, I really try not to because eights and disintegration and all of our all of our types have a a, 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 a a type we reach towards an integration where we borrow positive traits of that type when we're when we're rooted and, and grounded all of us borrow the low level manipulation techniques of another type in disintegration when we're losing our our way when we're not getting what we want so if eights fundamentally eights are need to be in control when I'm not in control and I can't control you with the force of my presence, mm. then what I do is in disintegration, I borrow type five sort of reductionism, the need to understand. And I begin to sort of isolate every fragment of your whole that I can lay claim to your birth order, your Myers-Briggs, your strengths finders, your religious tradition, your phase of life, your age, your Enneagram type. And as soon as I have all the pieces I need, I catalog you in my mind, I put you on a, a library shelf, my brain and I know where to, 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 to take advantage of you, where to manipulate you, how to control you. Yeah. So I, I really try not to, I really try not to um, out people's types. I really try not to sort of assume and read energies because 
this is you. This is this is sacred to you. It's it's yours to bring forth to if and when you're ready. Bad enough to overly label and identify yourself, and even even worse to do that to another person. Fair enough. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Damaging type of thing. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I agree with that, Joey. I mean, what am I going to say? Hey, you, you ever like that when somebody goes, "You are this"? I mean, that's not. You don't want somebody else to tell you what you are right. in that reductive right. of a of a manner. Yeah. yeah, it's oversimplification to do. It's rude. I'll put it that way. It's at least rude. Well, we do we do it to ourselves enough. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, laying, right. letting the fragments of who we think we are lay claim to the whole of ourselves is already one of our major problems. Mm-hmm. So then to put that on someone else, it's mm-hmm. just like, I mean, we're we're perpetuating our own dysfunction forward. Yeah, um, you got some real clear thinking about it, Chris. I really appreciate you know because of, of course I have skepticism about everything, and I and, you know whatever. So I take no offense to me question any line oh. of question. And I. I had in in the interview here, but I I am curious about this, and I think I've learned a lot talking to you today. So uh, we appreciate the the time. Well, hey man, for eights, this is a love language. Good, good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody check out Chris's book if you're interested. Uh, That's the Sacred Enneagram, right? Yes, sir. That's how you say it. Okay, I'm sure Amazon or whatever is is good for you, and uh, we appreciate it. We're going to let you go, and we'll talk to you again soon. You're you're one of the lucky ones that didn't have to put up with Toby's shenanigans. Oh, dear. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, man. Y'all behave. All right, right, now we'll see you. You got it. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Very good, Joe. We made it. We did it. Ah, man. That's some interesting stuff. Chris Hewitt. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I'm, I'm more motivated to look into the Enneagram now. I, I tried listening to the Liturgist episode, and it was super interesting. Those hacks, they don't know was, what they're doing over there. <laughs> yeah, those Liturgists. <laughs> <laughs> the sound quality, through, it was just, it was just so underproduced. Right. Yeah, I mean, Science Mike was stumbling all over his words. It just yeah. got to be pathetic. No, but I, I, I definitely, I think these things are super interesting, and I and I would will I will admit to I think you would see it as me almost labeling myself to my convenience where when I discovered that I I mean dude I remember the first uh, they, there was something that our college had for freshmen it was called the freshman record and basically it was a, a tiny little yearbook that you could go on there and look at all the other freshmen and you could put down two things about yourself. One of the things I put down about myself was people because I had just bought into this deal that my parents encouraged me, oh, you're so outgoing, you just never knew a stranger, you make people feel comfortable. I always thought my identity is that I'm good with people and I love people and all that. And it actually was such a breath of fresh air to also understand that I'm introverted and I need to get away from that. Mm-hmm. So I think these things are have been super helpful for me. Okay, but because- be careful there because you, what, all you're saying is you got a type put on you externally, as we just discussed, by your parents, and then you felt like you had to live up to it and you were boxed in by it, and then you got out of it simply by finding another, maybe better, description more well thought out of introvert but nonetheless that's still just a descriptive type and then you put that one on and maybe more freeing or more helpful or even more accurate but nonetheless there's the possibility of that boxing you in and say oh no, i guess i'm an introverted guy you know no so that, but that's i think the, the, key, the danger i think the key word though is descriptive i don't think it's something that i've adapted to i think it's something that describes how i actually am 
Yeah, well, but you're very into that. Like you will tell Toby and I, oh, you're this way, so you're doing this. Matt, you said the word manipulate one time. Thus, therefore, you only operate in manipulation. You know that. Kind well, of a lot thing. of that you, is just for the show. No, I'm saying the that's show. the you think of people in types <laughs> and, and descriptive ways, but it can become prescriptive, which is not. Obviously, I mean, it gets here, on my nerves a, if you say, you said you didn't like movies. Well, you watched a movie. What's the deal with right, that? Right. You said you're right. low carb, but I just saw you eat some beans. <laughs> well, you know, like that, 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 I mean, here, that's not a pleasant or good here's way, a, way to be. Here's a perfect example. So fill in the sandbags today. The guy that filled my bags, and then I said I was going to haul them away. After I put my 10 bags in the car, I came back. And I said, hey, where's your truck? And he immediately said, hey, man, if you need to go home, man, go home. My truck is way over there. And I immediately recognized that impulse that he said I could go home if I wanted. I have that. And I think even Toby has that to a degree. You don't want to put other people out Let people where. off the hook. Yeah, there's other people that would have been just like, yeah, my truck's over there. Yeah. Uh, if you could take those bags, that'd be great. And so I think those sorts of identifiers are helpful for people that you're with all the time. So I, you know, I'm joking they around with you guys when I label you, but yeah, but but me learning more about how my wife's personality is, like, I, I don't think either one of them are 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 in love with this uh, comparison. But I think Toby and Priscilla are so much alike it is just unbelievable so i feel like i was prepared to be priscilla's husband's husband by being toby's roommate mm-hmm. 10 years ago because they're so much alike so those sorts of things are helpful for the for the people that you do life with mm-hmm. yes i mean they can be but again they could I don't know. anyway i think the point is is there so we'll wrap it up here i'll i'll wrap this with a really blowhard sounding uh description of what i what i th- think it it oh, and don't and don't it. forget i got i've got okay, some names, i'll, I'll so. let you do that too but i'm saying to wrap the topic of the enneagram and personality typing and again this is going to sound blowhard but it's like as i spoke of before it's like a resolution uh it's a medium resolution way of of categorizing people so you know like an 8-bit nintendo it's got to be in this one or that one at least it's better <laughs> than dualistic like binary so now you got nine types and then it subdivides into a bunch of other little things from there but really if you just keep going with that and this is what sounds so silly you know how many personality types there are seven billion you know, but technically that's true. It's the amount of people on earth is how many individuals there are that are unique and have a type. And if under, if you took all of humanity and all the resources and just studied one person, there'd be plenty there to study and type out and talk about all the way down. And it wouldn't cross over with anybody else. You know what I mean? Like, it's Matt, really that was uh, so moving. That was well. Such that's a what I'm saying. It thing. sounds like something like all of human, everybody's individual, everybody. But they, that's kind of true. Or we can limit the resolution a little bit, and it's easier to put people in categories, right? So there's right. somewhere in, in there. So in other words, what you're saying is everybody, everybody's you're just like right. you're just like everybody else, in that you are unique and yep. you're one of a kind. Well, that's technically true. Like if you wanted to have how many personality types are there, it's how many people there are. Or you can reduce it a little bit. And that can be helpful. I'm not saying that's bad, but anyway. Well, I tell you what, these are some beautiful creations. You're one of a kind, and you're even more beautiful than most people because you're part of the BC Club, and that's Christopher Jennings. We have Chris Abbott, which I'm going to bet money that this is Chris and Katie Abbott, a married couple that have been supporting us since day one at a very extremely high level. So I'm From Houston, probably, hope they're all right. Yeah, I uh, think that he has uh, probably re-upped or something like that, but we thank you guys. Uh, Stuart 
Talbot John Gould Gould that's G O U L D Garrett Pierce Art Artyom Levitsky Alan Brook Michael Van Dover Christopher Bendover I'm just kidding Christopher Morley and Tyler Gardner thank you guys they went to the uh, thebcclub.com. Go on there and just explore. That's that's my suggestion. Just get the hell over there and explore because you can look at different people that that put this BC Club stuff or BC uh, Pod and Bad Christian Media together. We've got people that volunteer, people that get paid a little bit here and there. We also have a link that you can go to and buy, do your Amazon shopping through us, and then. Lastly, if you want to join the club, you can read up on the little perks that you get. You get to belong to a Facebook page in which you connect with people that uh, a lot of times you find some common ground with. Um, but then, like Matt has said, too, it would really be helpful if you can't do any of that stuff, but then you, you listen to these episodes on a regular basis and you like them, go to iTunes, leave us a little rating. Uh, that would be awesome as well. But we, we sure do thank you guys for listening. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll see y'all soon. Don't forget to go to mattandtobyband.com. Watch the video, pre-order a vinyl, get the full album right now. Tell everybody about it. Tell everybody about it. That's all I can ask you to do. All right. We're all set. All right. Thanks, Joe. Well, I'll probably be evacuating in a little bit. Have fun evacuating your bowels. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.